Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Far Out Wisdom Podcast. And I hope that everybody's having a wonderful day. And remember to breathe and relax. And I know that uh, this is going to be a very good advice for someone like me who has been dealing with a lot of anger issues, especially during the election with everything that's going on at the moment. But like I said, it's just I'm I'm all cool about it. If Trump wins, Trump wins. If Biden wins, Biden wins. But in this episode, I had two of my smart, nerdy friends, McCall Jones and Melissa Meach. Uh, McCall Jones is, um, he was a former producer at North Communications. He studied international relations at Dublin City University. Um, and he studied creative writing at Emerson College. He went to Boston Tech hi pretty smart dude um i think he has a master's degree or a phd in international relations i'm not really sure uh and mccall if you're listening to this my bad and you can <laughs> i hopefully I'll, I'll i'll get all the information down below and i'll correct it as well and i also had melissa Meech. Uh, she has an as in management for te- technical profession with an emphasis with multicultural management a uh, ba in business administration and a master's in international management so uh this conversation is about the biden and harris administration and i get it uh with the polarization with the current political situation um i i decided to have these two to come on and have a conversation about pretty much everything under the sun especially histories i really hope you guys enjoyed this conversation and remember guys to share like love rate do what you do what you got to do and especially sending donation will help file grow and as always guys stay far out bye Welcome back to the Far Out Wisdom Podcast. I'm with Melissa and McCall Jones. And today we're going to be talking about the Biden-Harris administration, which is going to be interesting. I call it Beijing Biden, so that's going that's what I'm going to say. So, Melissa, could you, I know that everybody knows you already, could you introduce yourself to the foul people, the foul audience? I hate introducing myself. <laughs> Um, I'm Melissa. I just know a whole bunch of random stuff that is interesting. So if you ever want to hear something interesting, I'm the person to speak with. <laughs> and let alone she has a lot of college degrees. 
I do. And then we have, <laughs> and then we have McCall Jones, and he hasn't been on foul for quite some time. Um, the last time he was here, it was back in, I believe, in the summer. Uh, so McCall, welcome back to Foul. And could you introduce yourself to the universe? I can. Thank you. It's uh, actually good to be back. I hope you can hear me just fine. Um, I just have, a, like Melissa, I just have a pile of degrees and mine happen to be in international relations and I specialized in U.S. foreign policy and um, national security. Ooh, so spicy. As, so, so as far as what is, you know, going on currently and the continuities that I see, you know, politically that are going on now, as well as the inconsistencies and actually a lot of the players, um, not only am I familiar with a lot of the either the institutions or the individuals, but I'm familiar with them going back decades. So hopefully that uh, knowledge will will come to bear and be useful, at least a little bit in this conversation. Mm. So interesting fact, my degree isn't in uh, international relations, but it's in international development. So, oh, right. Mm -hmm. yeah, so the, the obviously foreign policy and stuff is something that is important in that aspect, too. Mm -hmm. So the yeah. election just, yeah, so the election just happened, guys, and I'm trying to get information about the election. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I'm really confused because Facebook has their own fat checker. I got I got banned for three days because I, I shared a, a map from the Epoch Times. You beat me like, back two days. Yeah. <laughs> I was back. And uh, I got shadow banned in the process of, of doing that. So I'm on, like Melissa and I were talking about earlier before we start recording. I'm trying to get information as much as I can. Mm -hmm. But I don't know what's going on. Because Facebook's saying Biden won. Mm -hmm. And then at the same time, when I'm on Parler and stuff, and I'm looking at the Epoch Times, the Washington Times, the National Review, and all that good stuff, they're like, mm, you know, Trump is still, you know, in in court and stuff mm -hmm. like that. So I believe right now, I don't know what the fuck is going on. Excuse my French. Mm -hmm. But the fat checkers are fat checking me. And then the fat, it's just, I don't even know what's going on. So do you guys feel the same thing I'm feeling? Because I'm getting frustrated. And I'm just like about to like just stop with politics altogether because I'm sick of it. I'm sick of the mainstream, the, well, the lamestream media. Yeah. Right. I'm tired of them. What do you think, Melissa? Um, the bottom line is your vote doesn't really matter in the grand scheme. I'm in California, so our vote doesn't matter. <laughs> no, and, and a lot of people don't understand this is that um, right now Trump still has a way to victory. Um, whether you want to choose it or not. Um, it has nothing to do with cheating. It has nothing to do. Our constitution is set up to promote a two-party system. Mm -hmm. And Trump has managed to figure out a way to bypass that two-party system, which I didn't think was even possible, but he has. So he's basically using the courts to hold up the electors. The only votes that matter in the end is the electoral college votes. That's right. the only votes that matter in the end. Um, if Biden can't get to, what is it again? Two, 270. 270. Then it goes to the House delegation. If it goes to the House delegation, Trump wins. Period, point blank. Mm -hmm. unless, the unless the Democrats can convince some establishment Republicans to side with them, Trump takes the victory. 
So if Trump can ensure that Biden doesn't get to 270 and then it has to go to House delegation, Trump wins. Mm -hmm. That's his only path to victory right now. But the fact checkers aren't telling. This is what happens when people don't understand the how the election process works. Right. So in January 6th, come January 6th, if Biden doesn't get sworn in and Trump gets sworn in, a lot of people are going to be pissed. Nobody's getting sworn on January 6th. Or what is it, January 7th? I don't know. 20th. 20th. That's what date is. I'm sorry. Um, yeah. So a lot of people are going to end up being pissed. That's all I got to say. Well, there's going to be a lot of people pissed either way. Um, it's just imagine, you know, matters who, you know, who gets to be pissed. Um, I, I agree with most of what you said. I was a little bit um, sort of confused at the beginning of what you said in a sense that um, you said that Trump has bypassed the constitutional process. Um, in my observation, he's actually following the constitutional process and following the procedures that are laid out. And even your conclusion uh, that it would fall to the the, uh, the legislatures that would cast a single vote per state uh, is indeed held up by the Constitution. In fact, that's that process is laid out in the Constitution, and that's why it uh, is there as a as a stopgap, if you will. And, and you're absolutely right. Currently, the majority of governors in the U.S. right now, I think it what is it twenty eight or twenty nine? I forget the actual total, but it, there's a majority of um, yeah the the uh, the governorships in. Uh, states hold a Republican majority as it relates to, um, you know, one legislature, one vote. Um, uh, well, again, uh-huh. let me be, let me, let me clarify myself. I don't mean that he's not following the constitution. He is, hmm. but the system itself is set up to promote a two party system, Republicans okay. and Democrats. Historically, okay. it's always promoted that two party systems, third parties can't get in there. It's not that it's not, it's obviously it's legal for them to get in there, but because of the way because of the way the system is designed and that 270 minimum, mm-hmm. it's hard for a third party to win. When I look at Trump, I don't see him as a Democrat or a Republican. Mm-hmm. I don't know what to call him. He is a brand new party. Yes. He is not He is not establishment Republican. He is not establishment Democrat. He's not a progressive. He mm-hmm. is this new party that I've never seen. And so right. when I say... He's bypassed the system. I'm looking at him as a third party getting in there and finding and using the system to his benefit. Does that make sense? Um, yeah, that, that that clarifies things. And what would you define as his benefit? Use it instead of uh, bypassing that popular vote po- portion of it and mm-hmm. trying to get it directly to House delegation, which what has it happened like only one time in history or two times or something like that? I believe it was once. Yeah, once. I forget when. Yeah. yeah. So it's something that's, you know, a little more rare where the the House delegation decides who the president is. Most people don't even know about that step. Right, 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 right. And I'll, and I'll even jump back on what you something that you said uh, sort of at the top. And I agree with you that uh, actually what both of you said, um, and we are observing, depending on who we're listening to, we, we are observing two completely different universes of information right because if i yeah. listen to uh you know the nprs of the world or any any left-leaning uh voice uh the election's over uh biden will be sworn in on january 20th and we're going to get on to uh resurrecting something uh in the world uh and on the other side if you listen to uh the youtubers the prominent you know political youtubers the tim pools of the world etc Right. Um, the, uh, the, the election is far from over. 
uh, it is a heavily and hotly contested, uh, not so much outcome, but but investigations into the violations or or claimed violations of the uh, of the procedure and the process. Uh, and um, I see very little reporting of that on the left-leaning sides. In fact, what I have seen most of is, oh, claims are being made, uh, but they are baseless, uh, that there's no evidence, that there's no um, rationale for the claims that they're making. Oh, they're just wasting time. They're just conspiracy throwing tantrums. Theory. Conspiracy theories. Conspiracy theories. Mm-hmm. Um, yet I'm hearing from former and re- you know retired military officers who are now data scientists uh, explaining in very articulate and specific terms the nature of the discrepancies that they're seeing in terms of uh, data aggregation patterns, uh, in terms of the um, how those patterns do not line up naturally, how many patterns within the election do add up and line up naturally, and specifically the ones between Biden and Trump uh, fall well outside the bounds of of uh, vote tallies as they would uh, they tend toward natural curves um, and there is multiple violations of these natural curves, leaving everyone, uh, you know, to scratch their heads. Uh, right. there, are, there are sources uh, who are stating that uh, there has been direct tampering. There's other people who have said that there has been indirect tampering. Uh, I've read multiple stories all around the country of multiple individuals, um, uh, no sign of a larger group per se, but multiple individuals who have actually been arrested and in some cases have admitted to uh, voter fraud. And some of these individuals have uh, been able to cast upwards into the thousands uh, of fraudulent ballots uh, just on their own. So uh, to claim that there's been no evidence uh, is a reach. To claim that there's been no no uh, no sustained conspiracy, while it may be true, uh, the evidence is is not uh, completely uh, you know tallied at this point. So so there's certainly reason uh, for suspicion. Uh, the Pennsylvania vote that had been certified. Uh, was decertified by a judge there saying that these um, these anomalies, these puzzlements, these uh, unnatural curves, et cetera, and, and also uh, the, um, the observers being very cleanly and deliberately and overtly restricted from actually observing the actual votes. And you're talking um, about the Republicans, right? Not the Democrats, the Republicans that were... Correct. Okay. I'm not aware that there were any Democrats that were barred from uh, from the counts. Right. Um, you know, uh, I think the I think the Giuliani hearing um, last week was actually very uh, dramatic in terms of uh, what it presented and what its implications are, and that was exactly the uh, the intention of it. So, in that regard, I believe it was uh, both strategic and t- a tactical move that I believe um, was ultimately. Um, uh, not something that could be rationally ignored. Let's look at it that way. Right. Like when I, I don't, oh, sorry, Melissa, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, so basically Trump and Giuliani and Trump's team doesn't have to prove there was fraud. All you have to do is cast enough doubt where they, all they have to do is cast enough doubt. Well, first they have to ensure that the electors that Biden doesn't get to 270. Well, he's already okay. passed through 70, but it's it's, no, it's trying I mean, to hang on to it. Yeah, Right. I, I mean, come when it's time for the Electoral College to happen. What is that, December 14th? Yes, correct. Yeah. He has to ensure that Biden doesn't hit that 270 during the Electoral mm. College. 
<laughs> Once he does that, if he can get it over to House delegation, he doesn't have to prove anything to, in court. All he has to do is cast enough doubt right. and get enough Republicans to say, I can't certify. Even if the electors certify, to my understanding, and correct me if I'm wrong, even if all the electors, if, even if Biden hits that 270, if the if the House delegation refuses or whoever refuses to certify this, Trump could still take it, right? Or refuse or what? It, I, I don't know the technical terms for this. I'm sorry. Uh, say questions the vote. If if the if Congress questions the vote and refuses the electors because they're like we can't accept these elector votes because there's too much doubt. Mm-hmm. Trump can still take it, right? Well, it depends on where it falls. I mean, uh, it'll it'll go back to the states and they will cast a vote. And if there's any contest among the states, it'll then go back to the um, to, I believe, the Senate uh, where where the final vote will ultimately take place. So there's still uh, several levels of which uh, for it to go for for it to go. Um, and so, so what happened like with um, when I was watching the votes? I don't know about you guys. I was on it. I, when I was at work, I was watching the entire thing. And um, it was Fox News. I had Fox News up. And for some odd reason, something happened when everybody was asleep. Okay? And uh, I believe it, I, I don't remember what it was. I think it was Wisconsin? I, when right. I was watching. Yeah, I was watching the maps. And, and Trump was leading. And then when I woke up to go pee-pee, right in the middle of the night, I'm like, wait a minute. Something happened. It was That's like a straight like, line. Uh, <laughs> it was like I'm sorry. It wasn't. It wasn't Washington. It was Michigan. Not Washington. Wisconsin. It was Michigan. Michigan. You saw the same pattern in Pennsylvania, in Wisconsin, in all the swing states. You saw that same pattern going up for Biden. Just a right. straight shot up. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was like, and I remember I shared a meme, and you guys probably don't know what I'm talking about, but I'm gonna link it down below. But it was like, I, I posted a meme where they were like jumping over, and then just Biden just goes up like randomly, and a lot of people make the argument that. Um, it was last minute votes right. that was yeah. getting counted in. That's and you saying. see, the thing is, I, I totally understand what the left are trying to say. They're like, you know, it's a conspiracy theory. But these are the same fucking people with the Russian gate conspiracy for four fucking years that we have been hearing. Mm-hmm. Here's my and problem I, with that mail-in vote argument, too, that I haven't actually heard anybody bring up. Mm-hmm. You have a lot of the older population, like my parents, right, who's actually scared of COVID. Mm-hmm. And right. want to do mail-in voting, no matter what Trump said, right? They wanted right. to do mail-in voting. Older people tend to be what? Conservative. Right. So that's another concern that there shouldn't have, you shouldn't have seen a straight shot up like that, especially in areas like Arizona. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because the older population there will have a tendency to vote. Even if they're voting by mail, they'll have a tendency to vote for conservative. My parents voted for Trump. Mm-hmm. Same they, thing with my my they mama. mailed in their yeah. ballots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, same thing with my mom. Yeah, because she's scared of COVID too, and I right. I, I, I mailed in my ballots because not the fact that I'm scared of COVID, it's because I'm fucking lazy. So, bolt cut to maintain. So I understand. Right, right. Uh, you know, that breeze, the I'm, I'm gonna, you know what? Would ruin it. <laughs> I'm going to have to remove my bow cut because all the SJW Antifa members have the same haircut as me. I'm like, you know what? I'm going to grow up now. No, well, but at least- you just tell them that they are culturally appropriate. 
Yes, exactly. And you're brown enough to get away with it. <laughs> right. And, and just, I'm talking to the audience right now. Let, let you guys know that we are three people of color. Okay. We, Trump won. I, I don't, I don't remember the numbers. I wish I could just Google you that. Um, I think he got more black votes this year than he did in 2016. Indeed he did. Yes. Yeah. And so <clears throat> I, this whole narrative that I'm hearing at the moment, it's like, Especially from and, the left, and, and Latino votes. I, I will add to that, right? And, and let alone, um, I, I think I was like listening to, um, I think it was like Sargon Okad talking to like Destiny, and Destiny was like, you know, uh, Trump is going to lose uh, Florida, and for some fucking reason, something flipped, and it was all red. And if you guys uh, look at the map that if that Google provides, you're telling me that a guy who can't even fucking talk straight, who hides in his basement, beat. Trump, I just can't believe that shit. And I know, <laughs> I totally understand. A lot of people are like, you know, you probably, you know, you you hate Biden and stuff. And I have all means to dislike Biden, okay? And we're going to talk about, I think McCall knows a lot about uh, the Obama and, Bi Obama and Biden administration, what they did, uh, especially with the Yemen genocide that happened. But it's like, <clears throat> you're telling me that a dude who who's like, come on, man. Beat fucking Trump. I just can't believe it, guys. I, I don't know if you guys feel the same way that I do, but when I look at the map, it's literally red. Mm -hmm. Majority of it, it's like red. Right. I mean, California is always going to be blue. I mean, California is just, that's, you know, we're, we're going to be blue. But at the same time, we did have a lot of Trump supporters here yeah. in the Central Valley. I don't oh. know about you. Where are you at, McCall? I'm in Los Angeles, so of course that wasn't uh, Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> Trump. But uh, further south in Orange County, it was definitely uh, red. So there you go. Right. So but, uh, Trump went up. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to uh, uh, dovetail, uh, Melissa, on what you were what you were suggesting re re earlier regarding um, the, uh, the 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 need to prove that there was fraud. Uh, in fact, while uh, the administration has been publicly screaming fraud, none of the lawsuits currently uh, are have anything to do with fraud. Um, mm. have generally, they have a hard time proving it in court. Well, there's there's basically well that's correct on that front. Um, but beyond um, the claim of fraud, uh, they they themselves haven't really found uh, currently, or at least you know to date of last week, the majority of evidence that they found have really been procedural uh, abnormalities and things that directly violate the law, either state law or the constitution specifically. Mm. So for so for example, in Pennsylvania, and I believe in. Uh, I want to say Michigan, I, and, and forgive me if I don't have that right, but definitely in Pennsylvania, the dynamic right. that the governor ultimately changed uh, the window inside which people could vote uh, was a violation of the Constitution, uh, in that it's the only power enunciated via the Constitution uh, to have any say over what happens for a vote is the actual state legislatures. And it's very specific that it's that body exclusively. So if anybody else, be it a court, uh, be it a governor, uh, or even individual politician for that matter, uh, by vote or by mandate uh, is a direct constitutional violation. So that's largely what Giuliani and his team uh, have been um have been pursuing, have been very, in my opinion, uh, severe and, if you will, overt uh, constitutional violations, which while there really probably isn't much of a precedent for it, the foresight that the founding fathers had to include such a thing uh, really makes this a significant violation. If states have gotten so far away from their own awareness of constitutional procedure, I think that speaks to um, to other types of decay that I really do think that we need to take quite seriously. 
not 100 agree you know the thing that's really scary though it's um because I'm, I'm in i'm in left-wing groups too i'm, I'm not really radicals you know i'm, I'm not talking about like the, like the anti-farm or anything like that but the thing that's really scary to me is that the the tribalism is getting really it's not really bad but it's becoming horrible and really kind of uh a disappointment because even if there isn't or is, you know, I'm not saying, you know, we don't know, we don't have much information yet. But the thing is that scares me the most is that when we, when something needs to be investigated, especially when it comes to our election, the importance of it, of having a democratic election, is that the left, they're like, oh, it doesn't exist. You guys are just, you know, shitting out fucking conspiracy theories and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, we allow them for four years to waste money on the Russian gate conspiracy theory. Mm-hmm. So why not give us a chance, okay, and, and kind of see what's going on with the right. admiralities? So I've got to like uh, mention, uh, ask a question earlier to you, McCall. What is an example of admiralities that 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 happen? Um, of of are you saying amoralities? Like, like no, what happened with them? Uh, what are things that were suspicious, basically, oh, that I'm happened? Yeah. Abnormalities, yeah. Uh, as yeah. far as the election is concerned. Well, yeah. I, I, I spoke about uh, quite a bit of it, one of which um, the abnormality would be just the, the constitutional violation and the, and the, and the change of procedures. Um, mm-hmm. the, the, the actual move, generally speaking, to mail-in ballots by itself is a high level of abnormality in the sense of it's well known that mm-hmm. it literally invites uh, a, a, a high degree of fraud. Now, I couldn't tell you that high means 8% or 10% or 30%, but it is a known concept that uh, politicians on both the left and the right, not to mention politicians abroad, uh, are crystal clear that mail-in right. ballots are inherently problematic and inherently insecure. In fact, in some countries, uh, it is, it's not even allowed. So, 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 right. those, so those two, the procedural, as well as the abnormality of the, 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 uh, mail-in ballots themselves. And I'll, and I'll also be clear as well, that there's a difference between absentee ballots and the mail-in ballots and the okay. mail yeah. and the mail-in ballots are actually a separate franchise, if you will. An absentee ballot requires that you request it. And mm-hmm. that somewhere along the way, you provide a signature of some kind. And then because you've requested it, that absentee ballot comes to you, you fill it out, you sign it, you send it back in. There is actually a uh, chain of custody that can be followed with that absentee ballot. In contrast, uh, a, a, a mandatory, if you will, mail-out ballot, which, which is specifically what California had, for example, yeah. they just took every single individual uh, in their massive database of registered voters, and they spit out uh, a ballot and they stuck it in the mail. And mm. the result of that was ultimately pretty obvious. You got people receiving multiple ballots. I mean, I, I, pers- I personally could have voted at least twice uh, based on the ballot, my own ballot that came in the mail, as well as myself walking up. And I ended up voting um, while at the, at the booth. I didn't bring the ballot that I was mailed. I ended up uh, right. voting provisionally, according to them, and I'll cover that that step a bit uh, shortly. Um, as well as other people were receiving ballots that belonged to other people because they were being mailed to um, old addresses. Right. So, if you wanted to be uh, a person who used to live at your apartment and wanted to vote, uh, you could fill that out and send it right in. So entirely plausible that at least every single person that received a vote, it's plausible that every single person who received a vote could have voted twice at a minimum. 
Right. Right. I've, I got it. I got to vote. Yeah. There you Two go. ballots. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so those, you know, are dynamics of abnormalities and, and the other legal team, um, what is her, her, um, um, Sydney Powell. Sydney Powell. She's pursuing a very different set of abnormalities. She's pursuing the abnormalities that exist in uh, the data itself. The abnormality that, um, as Mike Flynn was actually speaking about this morning on a podcast that he was on, um, mm-hmm. that the vote count is actually being done outside the United States. What? Uh, yes. Uh, that's the reason the servers, if you heard about it, were actually seized in Germany uh, because the vote tallying is actually done outside the U.S. So there's already the potential for you know data breach interruption right there. Secondly, yeah. the machines themselves are actually manufactured outside the United States. Um, so that's already two points of potential and highly likely failure you know, along right. the way. Thirdly, uh, the people that have had previous uh, experience with both this company, uh, the multiple vendors of the software, uh, as well as the vote tallying process, are crystal clear. And these are people from both Cuba and Venezuela who, who claim to have firsthand knowledge of, of these machines and the, and the technology. They're crystal clear. Uh, and the Philippines as well, actually, I will add to that, because I heard a, rep- a politician in the Philippines also making this claim that these machines were designed to completely control election outcomes, that any number of parameters can be set in any direction. And in addition to that, they are very easily hacked. So these machines fundamentally are just a complete nightmare from end to end, no matter what goes on. Uh, the likelihood of these uh, of getting an honest tally is, is basically right. zero out of these machines. So, so that's just to name a few. And then, of course, when you start looking at the fact that three hundred no, I think it was three hundred and forty thousand or three hundred sixty thousand ballots came in at three forty three a.m. on the morning of the third, uh, and that's what caused that vertical spike uh, in, right. in in votes. Whereupon it was testified to that. Uh, of those 330,000 votes that came in, only 3,200 of them were for Trump, while the remaining 358,000, you know, were, uh, were, 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 were Biden votes. And subsequent right. to that, or sub, subcategory to that, uh, there are batches of votes. Uh, actually, I'll mention two things, and then I'll, then I'll, I'll shut my big fat mouth. Um, <laughs> there were batches of votes that appeared to be pristine. And which was very unusual that the that the markings on the ballots were completely uniform, that there were no wrinkles or creases or any type of signs of wear uh, on any of these batches of ballots, uh, which is highly unusual since in most cases those ballots need to be folded and placed into their appropriate envelopes and then mailed into the the, the counting center. So that's you know unusual. And also too, they noticed that in hundreds of, and I forget what state this was. I want to say that it was, I don't, actually, I won't say a state because I don't remember what state it was, but they found that within each batch of votes, the spread between Biden and Trump was exactly the same over the course of hundreds of batches of votes. So it might've been like 3.68%, but it was 3.68% in Biden's favor across like hundreds of batches. So a batch of votes, I don't know how many votes, you know, ballots are actually in a batch, but they're loaded up into boxes and then they're, you know, put in box by box. 
So to have that type of consistency, I mean, perfect consistency, it just just speaks of um, of something that's you know problematic and, and highly irregular, uh, and certainly an abnormality. And the list goes on. I mean, every day we're getting more and more information as to the nature of those yeah. abnormalities and the malfeasance. I mean, from uh, the uh, the voting officials at the polling places being nasty to the observers, the observers having to actually enforce their legal right to get in and see those uh, ballots, um, which they still weren't really able to do. The revelation that a lot of these um, uh, voting observers are not just, you know, mom and pops that, you know, had nothing to do that day. These people are actually data scientists. These people are actually quantitative analysis people. These people are actually physicists and mathematicians. So they understand data and they understand what happens to data and they understand the natural rhythms of data. And they've been at this professionally for decades. So this was by no accident that the people that were this qualified to observe were basically placed there to observe. And what they um, observed, uh, literally, as stated by them, horrified them. Right. And I see videos of people trying to go and vote and they get like, oh, no, 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 no. You can't come in here because of the we are at our capacity due to COVID-19. And I I had a friend of mine who um, she said that she had to look for a place to vote but they didn't put their signs up that this is where you come in and vote. So you hear stories like that happening. Um, and just like, I think Tim Poole said it perfectly. He was like, you know, it's not widespread you know, because he has to say these type of things to save him himself too, because YouTube might remove him for false information, you know? And so to go, to go back, um, I pulled up the Washington Examiner. Um, we're talking about the countries that ban in uh, ballot voting. Uh, it, it says that most developed countries, especially in Europe, ban mail-in voting to fight vast fraud and vote by buying, buying that had threatened the integrity of their elections. According to the exhaustive review of voting rules and its histories in over 30 major nations. So in the European Union, 63% have put a ban on mailing in ballots except for the citizens living overseas. Uh, so if they do it, how come we don't do it? Here in the United States of America, you know what I mean. Well, Pretty- well, we is very, very selective. What were you going to say, Melissa? <laughs> is Melissa still with us? I'm still here. I was on mute. I'm sorry. I was just listening <laughs> to you guys. Oh. Um, I wasn't going to say anything. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> but it's like pretty much this is what we're talking about. Okay, look, I'm not good at math. I totally understand. All right, geometry. That's all I did. <laughs> it's like I get right. it. But at the same time, even then, I have questions. And right. look, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell I'm gonna tell the audience, and I have left wing friends who listen to my podcast. I totally understand. If Biden wins, by all means, hoorah! All right, Biden. All right, he's gonna come into power with with, with Harris. I totally understand. But at the same time, all I'm asking, or pretty much the Americans, 70 million Americans who voted for Trump want answers mm-hmm. as well. And, and that's I wrote- all I want. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. I want to know sure. because let's trace back to the the um 2016 elections and the irregularities there too. And I always question because I'm sitting here like Hillary Clinton could have taken a lot of those swing states, but she, the Democrats, I think Pennsylvania specifically, or I forgot exactly which state, Jill Stein was doing the count and the Democrats sued for the count to stop. What? (laughs) Hillary Clinton didn't want the count to continue. And I'm sitting here like, why? They were finding irregularities all over the place. 
Right. Was, was, she sued what? She sued in Wisconsin. She sued in Michigan. Yeah, and I believe she so. Yeah. Sued in Pennsylvania. Yeah. Um, and all of the counting was forced to. She, the Republicans took her to the court. The Democrats took her to court. Everybody wanted the votes to stop. Right. So you you look back at that election, you're like, okay, now it's time to figure out what what is really going on. Mm-hmm. Right. Period. And, and I'll guarantee you that the only reason we're questioning um, those uh, vote results or those actions now is because Hillary lost. If Hillary had, in fact, won, we would have never looked back. Um, right. And the momentum to not look back would have been uh, you know, accelerated and generated by by the media that was more than happy to uh, to welcome you know Hillary uh, into the fold or back into the fold and move on. Yeah, everybody was like was really ready for her to win. You know, mm-hmm. I look, I vote for Hillary. All right, boo. I know. Explain. <laughs> <don't like> <laughs> see, my, see, I'll, I'll I'll foreshadow what I'll be getting at with um with Biden and Harris, but I'm, I'm crystal clear that anyone who actually voted for Harris or Biden or Hillary knew nothing about Biden or Harris or Hillary, because everyone that I know that wanted those three in, um, had this set of priorities, you know, politically and socially that they have in mind, uh, and were completely and are completely unaware that those three people do not represent any of those values. And I found it in a sense laughable, uh, when people, in fact, I even, I even, I, I rarely post anything um, publicly uh, in terms of political comment. But what I do, I try to make it. I, I try to say things that are uh, as literally as objective and irrefutable uh, as I can state them. So, a long, long time ago, I said anybody who votes for um, Elizabeth Warren or anybody who wants to vote for Elizabeth Warren is a complete idiot. <laughs> Um, because because the only conclusion that I could come to uh, was that they literally are the lowest of information voters uh, who know nothing about what she wants. Uh, and I call BS. I call BS. Um, uh, I'm um, going to say Bernie Sanders voters are the lowest information voters out there. Sorry. Uh, no, I oh, oh oh I haven't gotten there yet. I haven't. Okay. I have. <laughs> sorry, I just was referring specifically to Elizabeth Warren. Okay. Um, I 100% agree with you, uh, but um, I think that there are other contenders. But the Bernie the Bernie voters are actually kind of an interesting uh, anomaly. I find them to be actually among voters to be themselves stunningly intelligent, generally speaking. But you're right. They are objectively the lowest information voters that I've ever come across. And uh, it's an anomaly that that really kind of cracks me up. And, and, and I only can I only believe that that's the case because they're a curious bunch, uh, but they have very, very spe- specific socialist aims and they have basically socialist values. Uh, and they have, of course, been been sucked into the Bernie machine. Um, and they look at, I, I was stunned because I got to hang out with a bunch of them for a very long time around March. And what I observed was that they were very, very objective about everything else except yep. Bernie. Yeah. They were objective about yeah. how the election was stolen from Bernie. They were objective about the problems with Trump, even though they weren't necessarily that informed of, of, of about what, what Trump was actually doing. Um, I found them to be as amazingly astute on every other candidate and their foibles and, and, and their fallibilities. But the place that they literally had a complete and utter blind spot was around Bernie. And I found it fascinating. What, what did find- Bernie accomplish, by the way? I'm sorry, Melissa. Oh, in a word? Nothing. Yeah. Oh, I said that all the time. 
At least Biden accomplished the the crime bill. The crime bill. So basically, right. we've elected somebody who is literally one notch above Bernie in terms of being completely useless. So I want to ask a, a question between you two. So you guys know about Biden and Bernie and all that stuff. But at the same time, how come they don't? So when I'm when I'm saying them when mm-hmm. I'm, specifically, I'm talking about their voters, their 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 group of people. Now, mm-hmm. now I, I'm fascinated with the Yang gangs. Mm-hmm. OK, mm-hmm. Andrew Yang. Mm-hmm. Um, but with Bernie and um, Biden, uh, you guys voted back the fucking establishment into power. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, this is all Yang gang. So the, the, the philosophy they stand for is blue, vote blue no matter who. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, I don't understand it because they, okay, they're out in the streets, the Bernie bros. And you, let's, let's submit it, guys. Okay, Auntie, if I remember, are Bernie bros. Correct. and there's, a lot there's, of, there's, there's, yeah. no, there's no need to be sheepish about this. I mean, the people out <laughs> shooting people have been consistently <laughs> Bernie supporters. So, you exactly. know. Exactly. Just and, ask Mike uh, Scalise. Yeah, exactly. So <clears throat> these guys are, are like down with capitalism, fuck the fascists, you know, burn everything to the fucking ground but then they put biden in power mm-hmm. you know like i see these bernie bros talk about um biden being the change bring america back mm-hmm. to to whatever i don't Can know I interrupt you real quick but, yeah to be honest with you i don't think the bernie bros voted you don't think so they no. wouldn't have voted for biden you you remember really, when if they did vote they wrote it yeah, probably, huh? So I was watching Project Veritas, and they had a Bernie bro, Bernie Sanders. I mean, <laughs> probably knows what I'm talking about. So Project Veritas ambush, not ambush, but they had this Bernie, uh, Bernie Sanders supporter, and he was talking about any means necessary mm-hmm. to push Biden for their agenda. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what agenda they're talking about. Are they talking about AOC or are they talking about Bernie Sanders? Because AOC Green and Bernie Sanders, yeah, right. are kind of right. They, they could care, and they, and the sad part is they could care less about Bernie. Bernie for them is actually a tool, and they've actually made that quite clear that Bernie was just the access that they needed to really push their their genuinely radical, aggressive agenda forward. Bernie was merely the vehicle that they were willing to get behind because Bernie was the closest uh, in terms of, uh, you know, knocking at the door that they wanted to get into. And that's how true Marxism works, is that you use the elites to gain the power. That's how real Marxism works. Correct. (laughs) Working with the Boraji. And just like I I said, and I post many times before, if the corporations are on your side, guys, you guys are not the resistance. resistance, Ah, Don't get me started! (laughs) (laughs) I swear oh to God, like God. these people, it really annoys the fucking shit out of me. Now, 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 like I said, I'm a little Fukushima. I get really irritated easily, and so when I see these people, <laughs> you know, McCall, you know what I'm talking about. You were at Straight Pride. You ever mm-hmm. seen? You see Antifa with their their communist flag? They're fucking like flowing that shit. Mm-hmm. I don't get it <clears throat> because this is what I don't understand about the left nowadays. Mm. Is that you guys? You know, wave the hammer and sickle. I don't even think they know what they're doing. By the way, I see, I see, I see the rainbow hammer mm-hmm. and sickle. When mm-hmm. obviously Stalin guys, uh-huh. they made a bill against gays. Right. Che Guevara mm-hmm. put homosexuals mm-hmm. into concentration camps and said, and I, I, I believe fact checking me on this, somebody where it says that work will make men out of you. 
So he was saying that, you know, you're gay. You're you're not masculine. So I don't really understand you guys wearing your chest shirts. Do you know that Marx and Engel went around using the N-word? Right. They exactly. didn't, and they were racist they, on top of it. Yeah, exactly what you're saying. They did not. They said that if, um, and I hate using the term minority because worldwide, we're not the minority. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But Marxism was specifically set up for Europeans. No other culture was supposed to be allowed into Marxism because Karl Marx believed that they would ruin it. Correct. Oh, Pol Pot proved that for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he did. He he fucked it up. You guys know, like, during the conversation, you don't hear. And I think, McCall, you said it perfectly on our last podcast. I asked you, I said, you know, why why are people not talking about the Vietnam War? And you go, because people are still alive and remember it. Mm-hmm. So that was yep. a good that yeah people mm-hmm. I talk about the Vietnam War I'm fascinated of by course it so you do. yeah you were next door you know yeah um I mean I'll, I'll, here's here's my hand at it I'd love to hear Melissa's uh, hand at 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 that answer of, to your question but mm-hmm. basically um, I've observed that largely we're talking really not so much Democrats or leftists per se but we're actually talking mm-hmm. Marxists it's an it's it's a it's a it's 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 a Marxist movement first and foremost because the actual Democrats are establishment Democrats the Pelosi's of the world um, are, are are you know the schumers etc they're all establishment people so they don't really count as being of the left right. uh, first and foremost so what we're talking about fundamentally is a Marxist movement and because most people are unaware of the problem Prominence of Marxism in the United States, they kind of dismiss it as quite literally a conspiracy theory. And of course, any Marxist will also make the claim that any claim that Marxism has any power in the U.S. Uh, is 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 a conspiracy theorist. But upon examination, it becomes crystal clear that Marxism has dominated academia for the past four decades. Uh, right. it, has, it has dominated the high school levels for the past maybe two decades, and it now dominates the elementary school level maybe for the past decade and a half or so. Uh, if you look at the National Teachers Union, it is nothing but overt Marxism. Uh, if you look at uh, Black Lives Matter, which they've actually overly stated that they're Marxist, and people kind of poo-pooed like, oh, it's no big deal, but on their about page, which has since been magically removed, they were crystal yeah. clear that they were a Marxist movement, that they are anti-straight family, that they are anti-male. Uh, and once their opponents actually got got wind of that page, uh, and, and 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 of course their their overt statement that they that they intend to dismantle the heteropatriarchal family, um, once their opponents got wind of this, uh, the word got around and that page during that time magically disappeared. So to answer your question, fundamentally, you have to basically believe a a, a list of things, but these are my top three, and forgive me if I forget the third one, but the first one is you have to be, you have to, you have to have absolutely no comprehension and awareness of economics. (laughs) Number one, you have to have- Zero awareness and understanding of economics, and also it helps if you have no ability to do so. So economics is completely out, right? Right. The second thing that you have to possess is a complete and absolute disdain of history because Mm -hmm. history is where facts live and the left despises facts because those facts tend to be extremely inconvenient for them. Right. And thirdly, um, as I look, as I vaguely recall my own bloody list, is that <laughs> you basically have to uh, be 
basically be unwilling uh, to to examine any information that is uh, distinctly you know opposite or opposing uh, your particular viewpoint. So if you take those three three things into account and you train people in at least those three values uh, for four, five, six decades, you're going to end up with a group that is profoundly ignorant of history, profoundly right. ignorant of economics, and profoundly unwilling to debate or listen to anybody that has any information counter to uh, what uh, they might say, think, feel, or believe. And of course, elevating feelings uh, above rationale is, uh, is, is crucial uh, among the leftists. So, so once you have that, that as a carefully cultivated demographic over the course of 50, 60 years, um, you get a very low information voter. You get someone who has been raised exclusively uh, under the values of, of Marxism. Uh, and if you take a look, for example, at, at AOC, uh, as well as uh, Robert Reich, who mm -hmm. both call themselves ec economists, what, I've, what I have uh, um, uh, distilled it down to is they were raised uh, and educated in basically the majority think of economics today, which is Marxist economics. Um, right. AOC was not raised under any type of capitalistic favoring or capitalistic valuing set of economics. She was raised exclusively under socialist economics because everything she says is, is socialist-based, and she's passionate about it. So behind her is a lot of people who believe exactly the same thing. But unfortunately, or fortunately for us, they actually are only 7 to 8%. I would even go as high as 12% of the population, and most of them are under 25, which also right. underscores why the Democrats want to lower the voting age, because they get to, they get to harvest a whole new crop of, of, of even you know, more uh, low-knowledge voters, or even greater, greater in their realm of, of, of low votership. Um, and as a result, they get to basically control uh, and groom, quite literally, uh, another crop of ignoramuses. Right. And unfortunately, my dad was one of them with Pol Pot. Uh, during that period of time, he was groomed into committing atrocities under the Pol Pot regime. So, Melissa, what were you saying? You were about to say something. Oh, I, I completely 100% agree with you. I'm, I'm sitting here listening to... And just to go back to um, the Hillary Clinton and the Biden thing... Um, they're corporatists. They're they're not mm -hmm. Bernie people. That's why when I said the Bernie people didn't vote for corporatists, they mm. they are completely against corporatists. Mm -hmm. um, those establishment Democrats, just like the never Trump or Republicans, they're corporatists. Um, so I completely agree with you in in the fact on the history thing. I hate the and another the third thing too is science. Mm -hmm. They they can't. They have to disregard science. And I always explain this to people all the time. Things like the 1619 Project stuff, these Marxist um, ideas that are being taught in schools. I'm sitting Absolutely. here like, who was the first black slave owner in the United States? Does Melissa, anybody can you, know? Can you, can you break down uh, the 1619 Project for people who don't know? <laughs> if you can. It's, it, it, there's really nothing to break down. It's based on a complete lie. Basically, mm. they're saying that the United States started in 1619 when the first slave ship arrived. If, am I correct on that? 
Uh, yeah, I, I let me yeah. let me let me. I think it's. You. I think that's the basic foundation of it. It didn't start um at, in seventeen. Uh, why can't I remember the freaking date right now? You're really bad at dates, remember? <laughs> I told like, you that it didn't it begin in seventeen seventy six. It began in sixteen nineteen when the first slave ship arrived. That's my understanding of it. That's the foundation of the sixteen nineteen project. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let me see. Like, um, but here's the thing, though. Does anybody know who the first slave owner in the United States was? Well, I know no. the race of that person. I don't know who it was, but I know the first slave owner in the United States was black. Anthony Johnson. There you go. What? <laughs> the first slave owner in the United States was a black man. He had, um, because, um, there was a thing called indentured slaves, right? Anthony mm-hmm. Johnson himself was an indentured slave. He bought himself, black people and Europeans, um, they were Africans at the time. So Africans and Europeans, when they came to America, many of them were on Irish. equal, right. Many of them were on equal ground. They were all, they came here as indentured slaves. Mm-hmm. They bought themselves out of slavery, mm-hmm. right? Because indentured servitude is far different than the slavery we know. So they bought, and then they were allowed to buy land. Anthony Johnson bought land. He had his own indentured slave. He had one black man. The black man uh, went to Anthony Johnson's neighbor and said, hey, I've paid off my debt. Anthony won't release me. So hmm. Anthony Kamala Johnson- Harris wasn't around back then. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Probably not. So Anthony, um, so the Anthony Johnson's neighbor had convinced him to um, release, to let the, the black indentured slave go. And then the neighbor, and I'm blanking out on the names right now, but the neighbor had offered um, the indentured slave work and said, okay, you can sign this contract with me, and now you're indebted to me. Well, Anthony Johnson got pissed. (laughs) So he went back to court. He said, that's my slave. And the courts ruled, this is all in court records. He was the first lifelong, at that point in time is when it was deemed that slaves were property. Right. Legally property. Lifelong slaves. That's the first slave owned in the United States. But nobody wants to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Well, of course not, because the disdain of history, and like I said, you know, history tends to be very inconvenient for leftists. Right. <laughs> right. So before we continue on with the Biden-Harris, what's gonna, what we think is going to happen, but um, the recently there was a um, more like a uh, Remembrance Day for Haldemore. So a lot of these uh, communists, they always make the argument that Haldemore did not happen. A lot of people don't know about the, the Cambodian genocide. They don't know about Haldemore. They don't know about the Armen- Armenian genocide. They don't know any of that because of the fact that in school, you were only taught about the Holocaust. That's mm-hmm. pretty much Correct. in the United States of America. That's what you learn. So Haldemore, um, it pretty much divide, derived from it really means to kill by starvation. And uh, it's called the Terror Famine, uh, sometimes referred to the Great Famine. Uh, it was a famine in the Soviet Ukraine from 1932 to 1933 that killed mi- millions of Ukrainians. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a Soviet famine. It was man-made by none other than Joseph Stalin. So every go. time I bring this up to the communists, they always justify his actions. So Elizabeth Hang was a Cambodian. Uh, she's a Repo- uh, Cambodian Republican. She she went against uh, Jim Acosta here in Fresno, California, and she called out AOC and called her Pol Pot in one of her ad. Oh my goodness, it was horrible. AOC Pol Pot, what? You know, she was. Oh my god, she was. She's Elizabeth so Hang. 
you know, Elizabeth Hang was attacked. And so I came to the, the defense of Elizabeth Hang and I got death threats by AOC fans. Guys, this is a party of compassion and I care about the environment and the Amazon. So I drink recycles, bamboo straws. These are the fucking people that, that claims to be fighting for social justice. Just making worse for everybody else in the well, process. You're on the right side of history, of course. So, you know. <laughs> You know, and that's pretty much, you know, it's like, how come, like, we were talking about fat checkers earlier, and Melissa was like, I she, she hates the fat checkers, and I'm pretty sure most of us do. I call them the secret police. That's on Facebook. Not it's that like, secret. <laughs> you know, it's like, when it comes to us, and, and us three, we're not even radical conservative. We're not even right wing. We're not KKK. We th- we're three people um, hang of on. color. Let me, let, me, let, me, let me put a giant boot down on that one. The KKK is... It was founded by the Democrats. It is a leftist phenomenon. It has always been a leftist phenomenon. So, did we have a president that was a KK member, like a Klan member? Uh, I'm, I'm sure we've probably had at least uh, at least a few. Probably we've had multiple. But I'm we've just clar- yeah. But I'm just trying to clarify the dynamic of the uh, KKK being right wing, uh, in the same yeah. way that people try to claim that the Nazis were right wing, when neither of which is true and demonstrably so. I mean, the KKK oh. was founded by the Democrats to literally force and intimidate and murder black people so that they would stop voting Republicans. So right. there what? you have it. They're trying to claim that the book. Boogaloo boys are right wing. And I had to explain to him, I said, no, they're not. They're left wing. Their hero, their martyr is the only white guy Black Lives Matter ever marched for. What's his name again? The guy that got shot. No knock warrant. Um, Uh, I forgot his name too. I'm blanking out on his name right now. But Boogaloo boys are left wing militia. Ah. People need to quit calling them right wing. You can go on to vice.com right now oh, vice. and watch an, huh? I said, oh, vice. Mm-hmm. Vice, yes. <laughs> you can go on to vice.com right now. I think it's vice. Uh, I'm, it's vice or vox. I'm pretty sure it's vice. Okay. Before we begin, Melissa, um, the Boogaloo movement, uh, I brought it, up, brought it up on Wikipedia. It's uh, the Boogaloo movement, whose inherents are often referred to as Boogaloo boys or Boogaloo boys, is a loosely organized far right anti-government and and extremist political movement in the United States. The movement has been described as a militia. Boogaloo and Harris, they are prepared to seek to incite a second American civil war. So that's from Wikipedia. But you guys have to remember that Wikipedia is full of far leftists. Fact checkers suck. (laughs) You can go on to vice.com right now. There is an hour-long documentary of them saying they are this is the Boogaloo boys themselves saying they are a left wing militia. Right. So I'm gonna take Wikipedia over the group themselves. They right. they literally march with Black Lives Matter and Antifa. Right. They recruit black people. No, I didn't see that on the news. Are you sure? Vice, Vice. Vice. <laughs> and, and I'm not this isn't a right wing meet it's vice. That's if you're anti, you know, but, but think about it though. The the Wikipedia page said anti-government. Isn't that like anarchism at the same time? I mean, isn't that left wing not necessi- or right? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. You got the shoe horse theory. The shoe yeah. horse yeah. theory. Yeah, exactly. Far right, far left is the same. Yeah. Yeah, they call them far right. So oh. I I the, all I know about the Boogaloo Boys is that they they wear Hawaiian shirts. That's all. I- <laughs> 
Well, there's your clue, apparently. <clears throat> they, they, yeah, they, so they, they were little Hawaiian shirts, and I have a bunch of like sometimes Boogaloo boys on my profile. But they got removed, by the way. Majority of them that that considered themselves Boogaloo boys. And this is what we're talking about, guys. This is the whole thing because we don't know what's factual and what it's not. And this is the postmodern bullshit attitude into our culture that's happening at the moment because I don't know what is true and what is not. And, and just like mm -hmm. Melissa said, that everybody needs to learn to think for themselves. And that's pretty much what I'm doing. But at the same time, I, I, I have to use like a third party type of, you know, browser and pretty much look everything up because look, every time like I, I, I say something, they're like, it's a conspiracy theory. Like, like the whole, and I keep bringing this up, George Floyd, when he died, mm -hmm. we were getting fucking gaslighted and that pisses me off. And I remember, McCall, you were, you were in LA and you had pictures of destroyed businesses mm -hmm. and we were getting gaslighted by the fucking media saying that, oh, it's a peaceful protest. Right. You know, we're right. just, it's, it's bullshit. And I was like, you know, okay, what am I seeing? So I'm seeing like, you know, independent people. This is why Tim Pool should be back on the fucking ground all right <laughs> but but at the same time he is getting threatened and i don't think that's safe for him anyways but he just sh should send reporters on the ground and to see what the heck is going on i mean i get it i i see right-wing people like on you know in these rallies and stuff like that i totally understand but we need independent news mm -hmm. and if tim pool brings something like vice and like make something like vice he will he will pretty much like establish a new like empire of media absolutely if, will. if he does you know what i mean like i wouldn't wouldn't mind like i said I, i'm very open about my friendship with lydia she is his um she's that chick that sits with him and pretty much google -goo his stuff Look, she's you know what i mean i told lydia she's a goddess <laughs> oh <laughs> she's, hey she's real goddess. quick you guys um duncan lemp that's who their martyr is duncan lemp the only white boy blm ever marched for duncan lemp but they're a far right wing group right i just <laughs> needed to add that yeah, yeah, there we go. Uh, send me that information, Melissa, so I can link it down below because I have a right. bunch of resources that I want to link down. So, but anyways, back to to Tim Pool. Mm -hmm. um, we need people on the ground mm -hmm. to pretty much rec like record the entire thing, like what Vice used to do. Mm -hmm. Vice used to be like this fucking mini empire that that that's some edgy shit. You know what I mean? Like I really enjoyed like their documentaries that they did in North Korea. They even said in that that documentary communist. But now Vice, they don't even want to say that word anymore. You know, they're like, I don't give a fuck about non-binary gender shit. I want to know what the fuck is going on in the ground. You know what I mean? It's like they did a recent documentary in Cambodia about Hun Sen. And me and Melissa were Cambodian. So Hun Sen to us is just a fucking traitor to the Cambodian people and a strangle to democracy. We don't like him. That's for sure. And she they, she was on the ground. That's a reporter. And she was just asking questions about people and just kind of get to know that's the vice that I like right. now. It's just I don't. I don't know what the fuck they're they're doing. In, in my observation, yeah. you know, there, there, there's a very, uh, I think, important cutoff to take note of, and I'm just theorizing this based on what you just said. That that I'm I'm an old dude, right? And I come. <laughs> we from, can't tell, McCall. Right? We can't tell. <laughs> I come from a generation where we did research, and that research was through uh, academic papers. Uh, that research was through, you know, perhaps other documentaries, and in many cases, go to libraries. Yeah, the libraries called the library, um, and actual books. And also, um, I spent a lot of time speaking with people firsthand. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I believe that generation, generationally speaking, I mean, you just said that you know you don't know what to believe. Well, fundamentally, 
you know, I got as much information uh, firsthand as I possibly could. Uh, and then I read enough of a body of information so that I could begin to parse out what was either kind of true, not true, or what I could conclude was most probably true uh, while maintaining that skepticism. But I don't see that type of endurance uh, right. among the younger uh, generations that 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 should otherwise be doing uh, you know this type of research. So I understand their skepticism about incoming information because they believe that they are passive observers of information. Whereupon my attitude about information is I'm the source of it. I'm the source of gathering. It's my responsibility to gather that information. I mean, that's one of the reasons I attended the Straight Pride Parade. That's one of the reasons I went into journalism in the first place. Um, mm -hmm. That's one of the reasons I said, you know what? Journalists actually don't know anything. Um, I'm way more interested in specializing in U.S. foreign policy and, 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 and national security. And I want to go into it from an academic perspective. I don't want to go into it for, as a journalist because journalists really – they don't really have the endurance for for any serious um, or real you know research. So, so with that in mind, off I went, um, and getting to experience, for example, uh, the Straight Pride Parade, to knowingly to literally watch journalists in real time rewrite what was actually going on. It, right. The sad part, it wasn't fascinating. The sad part, it wasn't even novel to me. It was exactly what myself and the organizers completely expected. In fact, I have the organizer on camera talking to about five reporters, telling them to their faces that you were going to go back to your studios as soon as you're done with this interview, and you're going to rewrite everything I said, and you're going to rewrite everything that happens here today in your own narrative. And I know you're going to do that. And they stood mm -hmm. there and they stared at him and they blinked at him and they batted at him and they asked him all kinds of other matter of silly questions. And then they raced back to their offices and rewrote everything that happened that day. And He's talking about John Hugo, by the way. The lead organizer for uh, for the straight pride parade. And and, you know, and I agreed, you know, I mean, I knew that was going to happen as well. And I was glad to be there because I took, you know, several hundred photographs of, of what was going on and what wasn't going on and, and was able to report both firsthand, uh, but also with record, you know, AKA the images uh, of what went on. I mean, I've had people argue about with me about who was there and I was able to deliver to them the actual images that I personally took to prove right. them that they were, that they were basically incorrect. Um, and then they, you know, had to back down out of, you know, necessity, if anything. Uh, and then, and, and then um, you mentioned this dynamic of what was going on here, that these were peaceful protesters, as I'm literally walking through uh, smoldering rubble uh, up on Melrose right. Avenue uh, of buildings that were burned out the night before um, by the peaceful protesters carrying torches and bricks. Right. And Ellie was like a big hot spot mm -hmm. uh, that was like literally fucking destroyed. It was, it was like I'm, I'm watching these videos and people just getting beat the crap. Like businesses own, like business owners getting their asses kicked. And don't you see CNN on the fucking ground? They don't ask these business owners. They don't care. No. That's the thing. It's just like the I I I don't want to sound like I'm I'm a crazy person. I go, but it seems like the media it's against the people. For some odd reason, it, they run like China. Well, I mean, like in all fairness, I mean, Trump has made it very clear that the media is the enemy of the people, and the only people that protest that claim is the media itself. Uh, so you're absolutely correct. I mean, they've made it more than plain 
that they are literally the enemy of the people. I mean, when 8% of the population's interests politically are represented by the media in its entirety, you know, we have 92% of the country that actually wants to go another direction. I mean, when we see the red versus blue uh, voting across the country, there's only a smattering of blue around the edges. Uh, the rest right. of the country is deep red. And, right. uh, and the media yeah. is quite uh, reluctant to uh, to report that little little tidbit factoid. There was no blue rave. I'm watching the I'm watching the map. It was like red. It was like literally like fucking Mars. All right, <laughs> just like I'm, I'm I'm like okay. I'm seeing something totally different than what you guys are Did saying. Did I miss the it, blue rave? Like, <laughs> 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 and it's just like, um, what is it? it I feel like you guys remember the phenomenon of the blue dress. It was blue or gold. Yes. You know what I mean? I that's that's pretty much what I'm seeing today. Like in America, it's like a split psyche mm-hmm. between the two. Like we see us three, we're like, hmm. You know, like you hear a lot of people like the BLM. Uh, recently, I shared a video from The Cut, and they were like, you know, what is white people superior at, right? <laughs> and um, I don't know if you guys watch it, but it's like. They 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 brought in like a bunch of black people and they were like oh white people are, they smell like mayonnaise or they love their dogs and yeah. and it was like really fun and cute and then after a while it just became really awful mm-hmm. oh they like to steal people's shit and if you guys know McCall's black Melissa's husband's black so it's like I feel like they 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 put the narrative for us for the people of color like they, like they speak for us. And if McCall Jones share his video, uh, I mean, his photo of him standing next to Milo Yiannopoulos, mm-hmm. McCall just lost all his power. <laughs> He's not black no more. Right. You know, what I mean? you know what's really funny that I've actually found very, very interesting um, about the left these days. Um, I come from an era of the Afrocentric movement. Do you remember that, McCall? Of course I do. Afrocentric, yes. You're old. So you, you already know. I'm from so, the land of Martin Luther King Jr. and Malcolm X. So I used to, the Afrocentric movement was um, in or, to combat with, it, it was the polar opposite of the Eurocentric movement. Mm-hmm. They were meant to combat each other. Um, I got into an argument with both of them all the time because they would always distort history. No, I'm blanking out. I, I know I was going somewhere with this. I told you. That's rule number two. <laughs> um, so what's interesting to me is that the liberals these days don't really quote black authors anymore. Like no, I grew up in the authors, generation. Black authors can't exist anymore for that. Right. I, I just got done talking to somebody who was um, – quoting a white uh, uh, they were talking about white privilege mm-hmm. and okay. um they were talking about peggy mcintosh and i was like you know peggy mcintosh stole that idea of white privilege right she didn't coin the phrase you know who coined the phrase w.e.b du bois mm-hmm. he mm-hmm. used white skin privilege mm-hmm. and white skin privilege was something very distinct it was written into law mm. it was the slight it it, it it occurred because of the um uh, the slave codes, the Virginia slave codes, right? That's specifically what he was referring to. Peggy McIntosh stole that idea and distorted it into this idea of this thing that nobody can actually trace back, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's this whole, high, well, you have privilege because you somebody doesn't follow you around in a store. Mm-hmm. And 
that always surprises me that these leftists always the black leftists, the white leftists, everybody, they always want to empower black people, but they cut out black voices, Mm -hmm. the important black voices. Mm -hmm. And then they give the credit and then they give the credit to white people. (laughs) W.E. Du Bois. I am not a big fan of W.E. Du Bois. I don't like him. He was one of the first to start this whole Marxist ideology. Mm hmm. In, in within the black culture. I'm not a big fan of W.E. Du Bois, but to give credit of the idea of white privilege, to take it from Du Bois and give it to a white lady in the 70s, that kind of shows, like, I, I don't know how to explain, it shows the mindset of these liberals. Mm-hmm. Like uh, the, uh, the, the conversation I had with them. Um, I wouldn't say he's a Marxist. I would say he was more like a socialist and he is... Uh, I'm not going to say his name because uh, he's from Nigeria. His family's from Nigeria. And he was talking about, uh, uh, he listened to my podcast episode where we talk about, I talk about critical race theory is not your friend. And he goes, you can't throw the bathwater. He was talking about white patriarchy and all that, you know, good stuff, you mm-hmm. know, the, the, the Durgons that they use. And I was like, you forget that critical theory came from the Frankfurt School. A bunch right. of white dudes right. in Germany. <laughs> and you notice that a lot of yeah. these people talking about don't be with white men, white men, and don't be with white women are with white women and white men themselves. Mm-hmm. Has anybody else noticed that but me? Yeah. It was well, the I've same been, with the Afrocentric. Absolutely. It was the same with the Afrocentric. I would get in argues with them all the time because I'd be like, aren't you with a white chick right now? Uh, <laughs> right? I'm, the same. You know. The same with wh- who are those guys that scream on corners about white people being evil? I think it's like the the black uh, Muslim Israelites. I think the That's Israelites, they, yeah. the Israelites. 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 Yeah. Yep, they're all married to white women. Mm-hmm. Are they? The majority of them are married to white women. It, it really yes blows my mind. It really like and blows that's my mind. what amazes to me. They hate white people so bad that they marry them <laughs> and they have kids with them. Uh, that's what amazes me that that whole aspect of it has always amazed me all all of my far left people i know are with white people (laughs) hey i'm with a white dude (laughs) are you sitting here calling him evil and the scum of the earth when he doesn't take out the fucking trash So I, 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 you know, um, my, my, when things are nice and hot, you're like, oh, you're such the scum of the earth, honey. (laughs) My brother-in-law, my, my brother-in-law was uh, one of those Israelites. um, And he's still to a point where where I'm I'm sitting here like he has never been with a black woman before. And Mm. I'm like, how did, so when you sit there and call black people evil and you call black people this and this and this, how do you think that makes your mixed daughter feel? How do you think that makes your your wife feel? Mm-hmm. Like I and and the same thing with my older sister, far leftist, has mad crap to say about white people. I'm like, you know, your niece and nephew are half white, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? I, yep. I mean, you're with a white man, right? Well, to 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 zoom out on exactly your point a little bit, you know, this goes to my rule number two: to be a socialist is is a is a um despising of history and what i mean by that is exactly what you're what you're referring to and 
what they what they do step by step by step is they introduce revisionist history. They start to revise what actually happened in favor of their own narratives. And in fact, I wrote a piece on Suzanne Venker's um, uh, page this morning. And I was, she was saying that um, if you are a supporter of BLM, you need to understand that BLM is not at all what you believe that it is, um, and that there are, you know, race baiters more than they are, are are doing anything. But what what my comment basically boiled down to was, I said, you know, the number one product of Black Lives Matter is not so much uh, this racist narrative as it is their number one product is actually revisionist history. Mm. Because if you listen to them and their rationale, it all boils down to some, exactly what Melissa's describing, it all boils down to some disparagement of some historical figure or some historical situation. Uh, but at the end of the day, once you actually do the research on it, you identify that that, that disparagement uh, is fundamentally untrue. So if you yep. take a look at the claim, just like your, your, you said brother-in-law or so, um, you know, to listen to the Black Lives Matter movement or the uh, you know, Black Nationalist movement for that matter uh, is to believe that – to believe the claim that all white people are racist – and to believe the claim that all white people are racist is a form of or a, a chapter of revisionist history, because actual history makes it very clear that a large percentage of white people during slavery were adamantly opposed to slavery and violently so. So I'm a direct descendant of John Brown, and John mm-hmm. Brown is the most famous abolitionist uh, historically in the United States. Um, I've, I've, I've uh, through DNA, genetically identified that I'm actually through blood connected to John Brown. So it's impossible for me to accept a revisionist version of John Brown, the most passionate, aggressive human being that I have ever researched in terms of his singular vision for his entire life to utterly eliminate and decimate the institution of slavery in the United States. So for me to accept that all white people are racist, I then have to literally choose to believe in a lie, a lie that I 100% know is a lie. So I went down the list to describe how BLM and basically all Marxist movements are ultimately revisionist histories because, Mm -hmm. again, facts are inconvenient for their cause. You know, in other words, just as you were saying, why, you know, I worked on a project for university out here, and the project was actually firsthand um, uh, accounts of the latter part of the Great Migration. And the Great Migration is the movement of black people moving from the south to more welcoming cities uh, in the north. And it started, of course, with, you know, Harriet Tubman is famous for being at the beginning of that movement. Uh, and then that movement pre- proceeded to happen all up until, I believe, the mid, the mid to late 1950s. And since it was firsthand accounts, I found it fascinating that the people who were speaking, none of them saw themselves as victims. None of them saw themselves as powerless. None of them even communicated that they hated white people or in any way resented the situations that they were in. They just knew that they, that the situations were wrong. They knew racism was wrong. They needed these institutions were wrong, but they never communicated this, this deep soul-based hatred. They never communicated that, that, that they were victims of this. They, they found themselves in difficult circumstances. 
and just did their best to get around those circumstances. They didn't beg for government help. They just saw that reading and writing and education, the same way that Frederick Douglass encouraged us to do, uh, was the actual key to get out. And these people went on to have fabulous careers. These people went on to overcome uh, the racist institutions that had personally kept them out of jobs, had kept them out of schools, had kept them out of uh, professions. Um, but then ultimately they were able to, uh, to, to persevere and ultimately were able to win without the help of government, without the help of all kinds of other counter-revolutions, and certainly without the, the help of uh, critical race theory. So you have to hate history, which opens the door to basically being revisionists. And right. therein lay just another facet of why uh, these movements are so uh, not only dangerous, but ultimately even you know, insidious. Right. right. I mean, right. you and and if you really study history and you go far back enough, um, you, you have schools like Timbuktu. It, it, this idea and this is the thing that I really hate about the left is that they pretend like white people walked around, colonialized everything and created everything. There was trade between all cultures. You've had the Silk Roads, right? Yes. Um, the Timbuktu, Timbuktu school. One of the most, they, they were teaching the Greeks and Romans stuff, mm-hmm. right? So the, the first interactions between Europeans and Africans wasn't during the slave trade. You go back far enough in history, they, they had been trading for a while. Mm-hmm. The Nigerians, um, the Greeks referred to the Far East Africans or the far West Africans off the slave coast as Nigerians mm-hmm. isn't, or isn't, Ni- Nigers or something like that. That's how the N word came about. A lot of people don't understand that. Isn't the term Montenegro uh, uh, originally Greek or was it? Yeah, Latin? because it was um, when it was either Greek or Roman, when they first encountered West Africans, they called them Niger and mm-hmm. I G E R. Mm-hmm. And, the theory is, and this is just a theory of how it became the N-I-G-G, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, the theory is, is that when that word finally traveled to America, that Southern accent added that extra G and then it mm-hmm. transformed from there. I see. So right. that, that's my understanding of how the word came about. My husband tends to study root words a lot, so mm-hmm, I know mm-hmm. a lot yeah. about root words. There you go. Um, but colonialism is another thing. No, Europeans didn't go around um, uh, destroying everything and conquering everything. A lot of these countries went to Europe and said, hey, can you protect me? Mm-hmm. Europe took advantage of it. So this idea that the rest of the world was this powerless group of individuals against the smallest continent in the world Mm -hmm. is ridiculous. But you have to believe that in order to believe that revisionist history. I can go one after another. Silk Roads, if you really want to understand history, study the Silk Roads. Mm -hmm. Fascinating history shows you how cultures developed, Mm -hmm. how cultures intertwined Mm -hmm. study um, in in Buddhism there in Buddhism doesn't talk evil about any um, religion except Islam. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Islam is the only religion written in their book saying, be careful. Mm -hmm. 
And you can go back and study the Silk Roads and see what happened between the Buddhist and the Islams and understand why. Mm-hmm. So white people didn't dominate the world historically. Right. They didn't even dominate the world in recent history. Right. And We're if- in the West, though. That's yeah. the difference. And the revisionist history would be that European whites basically invented and then uh, exported slavery. And slavery has existed long before then. And to your point, the, the era uh, from, a, from a, a civilization timetable where Europe, Western Europe, has dominated anything uh, is minuscule compared right. to um, you know, China. The Middle uh, East, the China. Mongol, uh, you know, Middle East, Genghis Genghis Khan, I think, is the current trendy way to say his name. Right. Mm-hmm. Slavery dates back to the cradle of civilization, Mesotopia. Mm-hmm. Am I pronouncing that right? I don't know. I think the point that we, us three are trying to make is that white people are not the only one that commit slavery, guys. Okay? That's what we're trying to say. Because you don't open books and read and pretty much understand the history of human civilization. And I I said this in the recent podcast episode. If you want to overthrow the supposed white patriarchy, you're going to have to, like, violate a lot of human rights to do so. Right. Okay? And I I don't understand this this whole argument about oppression. We had so many people of color, Mm -hmm. quote, unquote, came into power. And not too long ago, I I feel like these people are like the same fucking people who are like waving their hands in gold in their banks and they're like, I'm poor. It's just like I don't really understand this whole argument that they're making. So you have to to create a victim. That's what pisses me off. You have to have a a villain. You have to have a villain, a villain and a victim and a superhero. And that's what pisses me off about this, this new history that's being developed, because I love history. I love studying history. And the the stuff that are coming, I'm, I'm like, that's not what happened. That's literally <laughs> not. How many people have ever actually heard of Timbuktu? No, I haven't heard I, about it till now. I have not heard that story. Timbuktu was a um, app. It, it, it was located, and I'm forgetting which country in Africa it was located. It was one of the first universities developed in the world. They traded not the Greeks when the Greek philosophers went to study at Timbuktu. Mm-hmm. That's where um, that's where a lot of the Greek knowledge came from, as far as philosophy goes, is from Timbuktu. Isn't Timbuktu in Mali? Is it? Is that where it is? I'm not sure exactly it's where it is. Yeah. But it was one of the first universities, and it was one of the greatest universities mm-hmm. ever developed. Came out of Africa. Yeah. So th- this idea, and, and in order to make this revisionist history work, Africa had to be in the dark ages, sitting there in tribes with um, what what are they called the the grass pant or grass dresses mm-hmm. with mm-hmm. spears, right? That in order to make that that's where Africa had to be in order to be conquered. No saying, hey, you know what? Africans were very involved in the slave, slave trades. Mm-hmm. They conquered each other and sold each other. <clears throat> Harris family. <laughs> <laughs> but I, that that's what irks me is that you can't empower people by making pe- everybody. It, it, what it says is the human race can be good and we can be evil. Mm-hmm. Right. Period. 
and that's what I was trying to say. Like, if you want the human, you have to like hold human civilization accountable. Period. We're all guilty yep. of something. I mean, that's like holding me yep. accountable for my dad's action. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And if I say that to a white person, like a white liberal Karen, for example, I was like, you know, will you hold me accountable for the Khmer Rouge atrocities? She's like, oh heavens, no. Then why the fuck you're gonna hold white people who don't ha- who pretty much all the original slave owners are dead. They're not, you know, they don't, they no longer exist. So that's pretty much talking about the reparations and et cetera. Nobody wants to talk about the current slave trade in Africa. No, no. That's an untouchable subject. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And nobody wants to talk about fucking China, guys. You guys Mm -hmm. voted Biden in. Nobody wants to talk about the, the never again until China's doing it. Right. Yeah. Well, yeah. The never again, the never again dynamic fell apart immediately. I mean, I wrote uh, extensively about the Rwanda, you know, disaster of never again. But then every genocide since then has been completely ignored by the UN. Right. So yeah, the, the, right. the never again dynamic was was very short lived. Oh yeah, I mean, like the United Nations, they want to like go to California and be like, "This is a human rights violation under the Trump administration." But oh, yeah, whatever. Look at well, China. To my yeah. understanding, to, to to my understanding about Never Again, Never Again has been misrepresented. Uh, never Again was never supposed to be about actual genocides. It's about ensuring another world war never happened. Mm. That's what the never again phrase. That's why the UN was created. Um, the idea was to build trade relationships so we c- would never see an, a World War III. But see, there's it had a, nothing to do specifically with genocide. There's a fallacy right there that there is this commonly held premise that trade uh, suppresses the possibility of war. Right. But reality, however, speaks otherwise, that mm-hmm. Hitler had a very vigorous trade with Stalin invaded right. the Soviet yep. Union anyway. Right. Uh, I right. believe, uh, actually, I don't want to start guessing, uh, but was not the US and Japan trading at the time during World War II? Mm-hmm. Yes, they um, were. Was Japan not purchasing uh, oil from America and probably a few other places? This is during World War II? Yeah, well, prior to World War II, that is. Right. Let me see. And let me do googly goo. All right. Are you guys so all talking? those things were actually happening. Never again was about trade with European countries. Okay. That that's the truth of the matter. Never again was meant to be a European thing. Right. Because um, never again happened in Bretton Wood. Mm-hmm. Um, Bretton Wood, nineteen forty four. If I remember correctly, it was Bretton Wood, nineteen forty four, when the UN and the IMF was created. Yeah, that was all part of the never again movement. It was really there there was no there was no um, Eastern countries involved in in Bretton Wood. In the beginning, it was only Western countries. Eastern countries didn't get involved, I think, until what, like the 1960s is when the first Eastern country got involved, if I remember correctly. Okay, makes sense. Yeah. So never again initially was supposed to be about European countries and trade within European countries. Um, I agree with you that trade is not the fix all. Mm-hmm. That was the belief at the time. The Bretton Wood, com- Bretton Wood completely fell apart um, during the Vietnam War. <clears throat> so it was it was gone during the Bre- uh, Vietnam War. Then we fell into the petrodollar. So well, I was just going to say. I mean, this is uh, of Nick of Nixon's doing by taking right. um, basically the world economy ultimately off the gold standard and introducing mm-hmm. uh, oil as the uh, right. as the reserve currency. The so yeah, exactly. Yep. So never again fell apart with 
the petrodollar. Now we're still on the petrodollar system, which, by the way, Boone, if you don't know, is the real reason why we're in the Middle East, which is bullshit. And that goes back to um, Biden and Kamala. And that's what pisses me off. (laughs) <laughs> because one of the reasons why, perfect lead way, because one of the major reasons why I voted for Trump was because of his foreign policy. Mm-hmm. He was trying to tie um, U- the U.S. dollar back to exports. Mm-hmm. That's right. why the big push for the manufacturing to- jobs, the the getting rid of a lot of the red tape, mm-hmm. the making it more expensive to import rather than export. That's the tariffs, all of that. It was a push to tie the U.S. economy or the U.S. dollar back to export so we can take it off the petrodollar and we mm. could get out of the freaking Middle East. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, we. Yeah. I still remember when I was in middle school when they, you know, Bush, they went into, you know, the Middle East. Right. And if you guys look at the picture of Bush signing aggressive, like, to take on Iraq, you guys mm-hmm. see who? Biden. He's in the picture too. Exactly right. yep. Carter Doctrine. Carter Doctrine. Yep. They all support the Carter Doctrine. Yep. They were yep. all around when the Carter Doctrine was created, probably. When when the Carter Doctrine was created in 1980 something. When mm-hmm. did Biden become senator? 1970? Mid-70s, yeah. Yeah. So Biden was in office when the Carter Doctrine was created. Mm-hmm. The Carter Doctrine is what gives us permission to go into the Middle East whenever the hell we want. Mm-hmm. And people <laughs> misunderstand that as in spite of Jimmy Carter's um, peacenik and peace-loving um, you know, public demeanor, um, Carter was involved in more milita- military adventures uh, than basically at the time all of the Republican uh, presidents, you know, combined. Uh, and people have no have no memory of this, uh, you know, at all. Mm-hmm. And and that's why when I say, you know, I mean, in you know, when we spoke, you and, you and I, Boone, last time spoke about this. I mean, I couldn't stop about how much has been forgotten, you know, by right. the culture, and they're willing to uh, believe. Uh, the stories, you know, we we spoke specifically about the Gulf of Tonkin incident, which, right. you know, in terms of who's claiming that, oh, my goodness, uh, wrongdoing is a conspiracy theory. Well, the term conspiracy theory literally came out of the Gulf, Gulf of Tonkin incident uh, when people realized that um, the U.S. ultimately manufactured the story uh, mm-hmm. that they were attacked by uh, by Vietnamese ships, which was the uh, excuse uh, or the 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 the, the fire point of, uh, of the Vietnam War for for United States. So yeah, it, it's 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 it is viscerally frustrating for me it to. Is. Listen to people who are so adamantly against or, you know, something or for something. And then the instant I ask them a question, um, they are devoid of all knowledge of the actual situation. I mean, something so simple as, well, you know, for example, probably the most common one that you that you both have heard uh, quite frequently is, oh, you know, Trump broke laws. What about him? What about him? Zim? I think that's what it is. What laws did he break? What about ism is, is, in my view, a separate phenomenon, right? Because, yeah. you know, but I, we can cover that one as well. But yeah, it's like, well, what laws did he break? Well, don't verbatim. I've, I've spoken to hundreds of people in the past four years, and the answer has been verbatim, which is pretty telling. Well, what mm-hmm. can't you see? No, I finish, I, I finish people's arguments for them now. I'm like, oh, yeah. you mean when he did this and when he did that? 
pull up the video here here let me i i i'm so sick i ask people this is this is what's messed up i mm -hmm. i constantly ask people they're like why why would you vote for trump foreign policy mm -hmm. number mm -hmm. one reason five peace nobel deal, peace prize policy. nominations yep ended multiple peace deals. wars peace deals coming peace. out of his butt screw everything else <laughs> foreign policy peace deals Right. right. I'm international development, foreign right. policy, peace deals. Screw everything else. I would have voted for Tulsi because she basically had the same stance. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Yep. I asked them, why are you voting for Biden? Because Trump sucks. Correct. <laughs> yep. And, you know, yep. I, I got to without mentioning Trump. Why are you voting for Biden? I've asked that question, too. They can't do it. <laughs> I've li I, I can screenshot conversations I've had. Mm -hmm. Without saying Trump's name, why are you voting for Biden? Mm -hmm. Because I hate they Trump. They can't do it. Yeah, they, they Fuck can't. that Cheeto man. Yeah. <laughs> so, and, uh -huh. go ahead, go ahead, McCall. Oh, I was, I was just going to add that um, I went from thinking it was just frustrating to realizing how dangerous it actually is that so many people uh, are of this profound level of ignorance and indifference uh, to what's actually going on. Uh, mm -hmm. To know that Trump has uh, led the arrest of more than 20,000 pedophiles and human sex traffickers in the past four years goes completely mm -hmm. ignored. The fact that he made permanent uh, right. federal and, monies uh, that go to historically black colleges and universities uh, from an annually reviewed um, you know, action to it being permanently in place is completely ignored. Um, and the list goes on and they just, when I mention those things, they just stare at me and get really angry. And I've lost, I've actually lost really close friends, uh, you me know, too. as, as a me result too. of that. And, and I can't say that I mind it. Um, but it was in some cases, it was actually rather sad and frustrating, um, because I, you know, really respected and or appreciated these folks, even though, you know, they hated, <laughs> uh, capitalism, uh, and history <laughs> yeah. and didn't understand economics. Um, you know, you know what's right. You know, what's really the funniest part to me is that all these people voting for Biden and for Harris pushing environmental greener energy. Mm -hmm. And my question always is, um, yeah, how are we going to do that when our interest is in oil? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're going to push for greener as long as our interests, as long as the U.S. economy and the global economy is tied to the petrodollar, mm -hmm. there will never be a push for greener energy. That's right. Nope. Period. Nope. I mean, in California, we invested so much in green right. energy that uh, it's we a have BS <laughs> bullshit. I'm talking yep. about real green energy. I'm not talking about windmills that are run by oil. Right. <laughs> okay. They require oil to set up. <laughs> right. Yeah, nobody wants to talk about that. So, um, we're going to make a theory, so we're going to wrap it up. Um, but uh, I wanted to bring out uh, what you guys think, what the theory of a Biden and Harris administration. So I'm going to go back to 2015. So I'm talking about the Obama and Biden administration. So um, I got this information from Anti-Empire, which I'm going to link down below. All our resources are going to be linked down below so you guys can go and fact check us. But um, I want to read a paragraph that's pretty interesting, and I think you two can add to it. And you guys can interject anytime. Um, the Saudi-led war on Yemen began in March 2015, and the Obama-Biden administration initi initiated U.S. participation. Under Obama, the United States provided direct intelligence support, refused Saudi warplanes, 
help the coalition identify bomb targets and expedite weapons shipment. But beyond this direct military participation, the Biden administration gave the war political cover and shielded the coalition from the most modest scrutiny of the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Under the Obama administration, it was no mystery that this war was unleashing horrors on the people of Yemen. The coalition bombed a center for the blind, a funeral, a wedding, a factory, and countless homes and residential area and blockaged Yemen's port, cutting off vital food and medical shipment. Mm-hmm. All while the Obama administration was in power. Indeed, the Obama White House was so complicit in war crimes in Yemen that its own State Department internally uh, warned key U.S. military personnel could be subject to war crimes prosecution, according to Reuters investigation, which they used to do journalism, by the way, published in October 2016. By July 2015, a United Nations official was already warning that Yemen was on the verge of a famine, a premonition that horrifically... um, it came true. So the Yemen genocide. So guys mm-hmm. who are listening for left wing who voted for Biden, mm-hmm. there you go. <laughs> it's like there you go. You guys no. won't voted a fucking warmonger back into power. Well, did you guys did you guys see his administration? Yes. His, yeah, the, these are these guys are like fucking the establishment. These are the same people, They're not by just the way. The establishment. They are They're, most of them were involved in the Middle East conflict. Correct. That's exactly right. <laughs> it's amazing to me. It's like it, it, look, look, I'm not always the smartest cookie in the room, okay? Mm-hmm. I totally understand it, but even I know about the genocide that happened. It's a humanitarian crisis that's happening right now in Yemen that it started by the same fucker you voted into back into power. Mm-hmm. I don't get it. I don't get these socialists. It, it, it doesn't make any sense to me at all. It blows my brain. Like, I, I really don't get it. So any information that we that we just said right now, like I said, I'm going to link it down below. But what do you guys think the Biden-Harris? Are we going to go to another war? Is everything going to be nice and beautiful and, you know? Well, um, if we take Biden's statement at face value that the U.S. is back and we're going back to our previous set of values, um, there's only one definition if you've been awake for the past hundred years. And that means we're going back to war. Uh, we are going back to um, investing in the exploitation of foreign oil and foreign workers for sure. Uh, that we're going back to supporting genocides and overthrowing democratically elected governments. Uh, that's what it looks like for the U.S. to be back on the block. And uh, right. if anybody who disagrees with that, uh, it is only evidence of their complete ignorance of the history of the United States uh, and their disdain of history, in fact, because those facts, as you just described in the paragraph that you just read, um, with uh, Obama's support of the Saudi uh, attack on Yemen, uh, only underscores your point and the fact that anybody who disagrees with that uh, is, is, is ignorant. And in fact, I believe, I say openly that they're disdainful of, of facts and history and reality um, right. because people are by and large ignorant of, of the policies, both domestically and foreign policy of, of the Obama administration. And I call them out on it. And no one has ever challenged me because they are unable to challenge me. They haven't spent any second. He was black and they voted for him. And that was the extent of their interest. And actually, you know, one of the things I had, I did have a conversation recently about exactly this with a friend of mine who I actually have a lot of respect for intellectually, meaning he, I, I, I respect his intellect. And what he identified was that, because basically we've been having this conversation for four years. And when the Russiagate thing first began, 
um, prior to, which actually prior to the election and it began to rage right after the election. I said to him, he goes, you'll, 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 you'll trust uh, Trump no matter what. And I said, absolutely not. I said, mm-hmm. these claims are being made. But I said, I've yet to see any evidence that these claims are true. And all I'm doing is asking, if not demanding, to see some evidence that these claims are true. It's, it's, it's in my view, not an unreasonable position for me to have. Mm-hmm. But follow that same logic four years later. I became the absolute enemy of the state, if you will, or the enemy of the status quo, because I demanded to see the evidence. And then when the evidence ultimately appeared, uh, it demonstrated that literally nothing had gone on. And then their story becomes, well, it depends on who you believe. I mean, can we believe that they actually didn't find any evidence? I'm like, well, the official report says, and that's all I have to go on. The official report says there was absolutely no evidence. So what I began to recognize from what he was describing was that there's two presidencies that people follow. There's the presidency in front of the cameras behind the microphones, and there's the presidency that happens in terms of foreign policy, economic policy, domestic policy, social policy, that happens in terms of policy uh, that is set uh, specifically by the administration, uh, you know, that, that, that basically the people that only, only gather their information from the microphones and cameras, um, are completely not only unaware of, but they're actually disinterested in those other things. I kept asking him, I said, well, are you aware of five Nobel Peace Prizes? Are you aware of the Dear Colleagues letter, uh, which stripped uh, men of their constitutional protections to A, know what they're being accused of, to face their accuser, and have the right to defend themselves, stripped of, of college oh, men, obviously, uh, who were accused of sexual-related uh, crimes on college campuses. That, right. that direct violation of the Constitution occurred under the Obama administration. These people know nothing about that. His response consistently was, well, I don't don't doubt that you that this is true, but I don't know anything about that. What I care <laughs> about is that he mocked that Trump mocked a physically impaired person or mentally me- mentally impaired person. Mm-hmm. Uh, he said that he um, sexually assaults women. Uh, you know, uh, uh, he said that he called uh, the troops uh, losers uh, and failures and. Um, and I said, well, but none of those things were reported as such. And, right. uh, and I cited that. I said, well, you know, I have looked into the uh, soldiers or losers quote, and all four people or each of the four people that made that claim will not go on the record to support that claim. Secondly, right. all the people who refute that claim have been willing to go on the record to refute that claim. And John Bolton being one of them well known for not being a fan of Donald Trump, said, A, I was there, and B, that didn't happen. And even when I wasn't there, I don't suspect that Donald Trump would have ever said that. Mm-hmm. This is somebody who has no stake in you know, ever saying anything positive or even true, for that matter, about Donald yeah. Trump. And he, def- in a sense, defended uh, you know, that he doesn't believe that Donald Trump would in any way uh, disparage the troops. And Donald Trump himself has done amazing things for the troops and has, is amazingly well supported you know, by the troops. Um, and um, so, so, so it clarified for me that these people have no interest in actual policies. They're just concerned about how they feel about what is said from the podium. Yeah. And along those yeah. standards, they were just as ignorant of Obama's administration, what Obama did, 
that they were pleased and in fact impressed and in fact comforted by everything that Obama said in his smooth uh, tan suit um, yeah. you know, from, from the microphone. And they, they, couldn't, they could not have cared less uh, about mm-hmm. his actual policies. And I remember like the debate between Trump and Biden when he, uh, Trump confronted Biden and he said, who built those cages, Biden? Who built those cages? He was talking about Obama. And the uh, Biden administration is going to hire uh, the same woman who was very strict about the immigration policy. And she, um, I think Democracy Now, wow, uh, reported that. And they said, you know, these, this is the same woman that um, was really rough, you know, during that period of time. So, yep, we are in the middle of information war. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's up to us individually. And, you know, especially like this podcast to come on and talk about stuff like this. So, um Hopefully we don't go to war. Ho- ho- I'm I'm just hoping. I'm not gonna be. I'm not gonna be. Uh, I'm I'm pessimistic that we're we're not gonna be. Mm-hmm. Um, we'll be in a conflict again soon. Um, <laughs> well, uh, my, my uh, thesis is that we'll, hopefully not. We'll be in a conflict I- immediately. Uh, my premise is that we'll be in a conflict immediately. Yeah. No, um, no, 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 no. Biden. Um, they have to first um, implement the twenty fifth. And Kamala has to become president before we go into conflict. <laughs> well, that's right. But I also believe yeah. that that's going to happen immediately as well. Mm-hmm. Right? And then we're going to have our. That's going to be like six months. They can't do it right away. I, uh, <laughs> I'll, I'll bet you a buck. <laughs> <laughs> and like I said, and I, I hope you guys really kind of it opened your eyes. And I, I like I said, I, I respect my left, le- my left leaning friends, and you know, I totally understand where you guys are coming from. I mean, of course us three we're not against civil rights we're not against human rights we're not against any of that we just want you we're to understand where we're coming things. yeah we're we're for all those things we totally we're, we're not we're not we're, evil we're not people. for the people that are <laughs> claim they're for those things and actually yeah. aren't for those things us three we're not fucking boogaloo boys and girls we're not out there destroying anything we just want the truth and like i said you know uh, we are in the middle of an information war so i hope you guys really enjoyed this conversation so i'm going to link all both their information down below so you guys can invite them onto your podcast if you guys want to because i love these two very intelligent people uh so um anything else uh you guys want to add before we sign off well um i'd like to throw out um just a, a perfect case in point um, because basically um, Biden's cabinet, his intended cabinet, let's call it, uh, is full, as you said before, of establishment, like ultra-establishment, I actually call them people, neocons, bankers, financiers. And I wanted to just illustrate one specific case. Now, Joe Biden's um, current pick for Secretary of State is diplomat Anthony Blinken, or Anthony Blinken. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned that um, these people are not only establishment, but they were in the Obama administration. And we all recognize that that um, that photograph um, mm-hmm. when I believe um, uh, when I think Bin Laden uh, had been caught or killed right. uh, with everyone sitting in the war room with, um, with 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 Obama looking very sternly at the monitors. Uh, Secretary of State, Vice President. Well, in that photograph as well, in the background, uh, is Antony Blinken. So mm-hmm. that only underscores your point that these people are not only establishment, but they're actually part of the Obama uh, machine, right? So to put a case in point is that Blinken is actually well known for being an absolute 
uh, advocate of regime change where he believes it's necessary. So he's an, he's an absolute um, uh, supporter of going to war wherever we we have to. So so we've uh, so anybody who believes that. Biden and his administration has anything to do with uh, being peace-loving, being human-loving, being humanity-loving uh, is sadly and deeply mistaken. And the most common phrase that I hear these days is, oh my goodness, I can't believe Biden did that. Um, <laughs> and the only reason that they say that is because they're 100% ignorant of who Biden is, what he has done, and ultimately what he intends to do. Uh, mm -hmm. So I sit back and I go, oh, really? Isn't that funny? Right. <laughs> Melissa? Um, I think a big thing people have to remember is that when Trump said, make America great again, like I said earlier, it was about bringing manufacturing. It was about tying exports to the dollar again so we can get. He was prepping to get us out of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. He was prepping to take um, to, to take us off dependence on the petrodollar that's mm -hmm. the big thing and now that biden is in office all that is down the drain and right. that's that's what sucks the most for me because yeah. i am actually truly a humanitarian I, I i look at people in syria i look at people in the middle east and they remind me of our people right you know what i mean they've suffered She's talking about cambodian yeah cambodian, cambodian people. people yeah they've suffered enough now it's time for us to pull out of the Middle East. And we were so, and I keep telling people, we were so close to getting there. We mm -hmm. were so close. When Trump said, make America great again, he meant specifically untying, in my opinion, he meant untying the U.S. dollar from the petrodollar and tying it back to exports. Right. So we did not, we weren't dependent. It, it, there, there was so much good that would have come out of that. Peace deals. Not only that, I am truly an environmentalist too. But I understand that as long as we have an interest in oil, the green energy I'm looking for will never exist. And I'm not talking about windmills that run on oil. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about true green energy. I'm talking about looking at really honing in on nuclear energy, really hone these different types, harnessing solar energy, harnessing um, energy from the sun. That type of energy will never actually be researched as long as the U.S. economy is tied to oil. We will never have a greener energy source. Our footprint will be the same. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. all of these things that you guys are advocating for, you just voted an establishment back into power for <laughs> another four orange, years yeah. of the same crap because you hated the orange man. Yep. Yep. And, uh, uh, to let you guys know that to assume or to say that, you know, Joseph Biden's going to bring you guys peace is like saying Henry Kissinger is an angel. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so I really guys hope you guys enjoyed this conversation. And uh, as always, guys, stay far out.